It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the prizes, one of the treasures of democracy is freedom of thought, freedom of action, freedom of, of movement, and that in uh, putting up walls, we actually lose what we treasure the most. What if we had a show about solutions? Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. You're wrong. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Hey, thanks for listening, but also a plug here for downloads. If you download our show for some reason, and I don't understand why, it does help us have more visibility uh, on iTunes and get noticed by a larger number of people. Yeah, so please keep downloading those podcasts. And uh, also, if you can give us stars and reviews, especially if you love us, that would be great. Go to iTunes. And if you want to come to our website, howdowefixit.me, we love to hear comments, suggestions, any ideas. For uh, for new shows and and thoughts on old ones. Donald Trump is promising to build the greatest wall we've ever seen on the long border with Mexico. Yeah, and after the terrorist attacks in Paris, there's more talk about restricting the flow of refugees and possibly even uh, the free flow of uh, populations around the EU. And across this country, many governors object to even a small number of Syrian refugees being allowed to, to live in their states, especially after the Paris attacks in November. But at the same time, I feel like there's also a lot of demonization of people who do have have what might be at least understandable concerns about security or economics when it comes to illegal immigration or, or refugees. So today, will walls make us safer or increase fear and depress our economy? This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. Our guest is Peter Coy, economics editor of Bloomberg Business Week. Thanks for joining us, Thank Peter. Thank you. You wrote an article in your magazine saying that the Paris attacks should not lead to a closed Europe. What are the, the, the economic consequences of, of putting up walls, of, of making it harder for outsiders to come in? Well, look at the progress Europe has made since World War II. They realized right after the war that France and Germany had to do something so they wouldn't have a third world war, and so they created the European coal and steel community, and then that expanded into what's now the European Union. And it, they introduced the Schengen Treaty, which allows free movement of people between countries, between signatories. 
uh, without even showing a passport. You can you can drive. I just did it this summer <laughs> from France into Switzerland without even pumping the brakes at the border. This has been hugely beneficial to Europe. It's created a a single Europe that has more trade than we would have and more commerce, more wealth. So so you ask, what could go wrong? Well, you know, just imagine turning the clock back to a Europe that has fences and, and guard dogs and barbed wire separating countries. Imagine how that would not only be ugly and, and soul-draining, but it would actually be economically harmful. Tell me a bit more about your article and, and why it provoked, uh, I think, a Thanksgiving holiday uh, debate uh, yeah. on your table. Okay, my article kind of said Paris should not lead to barricades. And it said that one of the prizes, one of the treasures of democracy is freedom of thought, freedom of action, freedom of, of movement, and that in uh, putting up walls, we actually lose what we treasure the most, and we actually could cause more harm. So I spoke to Ellie Berman. He's a terrorism expert and an economist. He said, look, terrorists thrive on distance. They benefit when, say, the Muslims living in Paris become more alienated from the Catholics and Protestants and the secular people of Paris. In fact, that's one of the things they're trying to accomplish with these attacks. And if you if you go along and, and you end up playing into their hands by creating deeper and deeper division. I know I know your article is about Europe, but this has pretty profound implications in this country, doesn't it? It sure we- does. And you know, you mentioned Donald Trump in the introduction. To me, uh, the idea of sealing America off, or, you know, sending eleven or twelve million undocumented out of the U.S and then maybe inviting them back, maybe not, it would really tear at the fabric of the U.S. Now, there's one thing that I think really sets the U.S. apart from a lot of Europe in terms of immigration, and that's the the relatively rapid assimilation you see. Um, what's happening in Europe that encourages people to live in isolated and not assimilate into the mainstream economy as easily as they seem to in the U.S. Okay, let me preface this by saying not gloating. The U.S. has big problems, too, and they could get worse. But there is something to the idea that the U.S. has always perceived itself as a melting pot. (laughs) Again, not excusing history of racism and xenophobia in the U.S., but, you know, historically, to be a Swede meant certain things. To be a German meant certain things about language and so on. To be a, to be French. And it's hard for them to perceive themselves as a polyglot, multicultural nation the way the U.S. has clearly become. You know, I think we're seeing uh, right now resurgence of nativist thinking, the the rise of Trump in, in the polls. Arguing what to me sounds like a very 1980s argument about that all of our problems are the due, due to the success of some other country, or you know, or the flows of immigration. Can you tease out for us a little bit the um, the benefits from the costs of certain types of immigration? Right. This is a long debate, of course. There is no consensus, but to the degree that economists tend to agree, they would say that on net free migration of people is good clearly for the countries that send because money gets sent back, Mm -hmm. right, to the people back home. 
by the workers who have arrived and are now earning far more than they could have back in their home country. It also benefits the recipient nation because very often they have labor shortages, especially in the lower-wage sector. There are harms, and you put your finger on one, which is it can suppress wages for native-born. And how do we deal with that? There's this fallacy that there's only a certain number of jobs in an economy, and if you take one, somebody else won't have one. In fact, if you create a job, it creates income that allows people to spend more and then there's more people can have jobs, and it's it's actually a positive upward cycle, not a we, not a we'll negative. Explain one. how that works. Okay, look. Give me an example. Okay, example. There is there are unlimited wants. That's a basic economic concept, and and the e- economics is all about satisfying those wants. If you can create some good or service that people will buy, well, they will use some of the money you receive. You will in turn spend on satisfying your wants. And that's how economies progress, and on we go. Well, I, I, there, there are a whole bunch of examples I can think of. One, I, I live in New York, at nail salons. I mean, the, ah. the Asian immigration, especially from countries like Taiwan mm-hmm. and, and South Korea, there, I mean, gosh, boy, has there been a lot of demand created for, yeah. for yeah. crazy great Things nails. you didn't know you needed, but now you can't live without. And then ethnic food, too. Well, and it's really interesting how often industries come along. You know, there was a big boom in the 90s and aughts for granite countertops. All of a sudden, these industries started popping up all over the country to install these granite countertops. That wasn't a business before. And, and I think this is what you're saying is something that's often overlooked, especially on the left is this idea the economy is a pie, and mm-hmm. it's government's job to figure out how thin to make the slices. Exactly, that's as, a problem. Instead of something that's constantly growing and where you know sometimes a more hands-off approach will actually help it grow more and do more to help the people at the bottom. Wait, I, I just jump in here because this is a really important point. One of the people who saw my article uh, said that I was espousing leftist rhetoric. I said, wait a minute. Free migration was always a, a conservative argument. A libertarian idea. Yeah. <laughs> Up until like maybe the 2016 presidential race, that was the mainstream thinking. It was the, it was the union-backed Democrats who were more against immigration. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Milton Friedman once said you could have a generous welfare state or you could have open borders, but you can't have both mm-hmm. without going broke. Yeah. Is it possible that... Um, a lot of very well-intentioned, generous welfare state policies in certain countries in Europe have made it, in a sense, they've subsidized a non-assimilated lifestyle and maybe the the lack of integration into ordinary businesses. That seems to be a big engine of assimilation in this country. Is that lacking there? Is there an element of social welfare policies that's part of that? I think there is something to Friedman's argument. But you have to think, why do people come to France? France's welfare policies did not get any more generous in the past year, and yet lots more people came in. Why? Mostly because of stress in places like Syria, you know, ISIS on the rampage, murdering thousands of people. So that's what's changed. If you think that you're going to stop it by tweaking this knob over here, the the, the welfare knob, when the real problem is something entirely different, no. Secondly, welfare programs are appropriate for newcomers to a society. They need a handout. They don't know the language. They don't know the culture. They, they have, don't have a job yet. But if things are working the way they should, then that should be just a transition. What's happened, unfortunately, is that it has not succeeded as a transition. There are generations of people who never learned French or that, German, right. whatever the case may be, and so you can't, you can't blame it on the generous money that's being given. You, you can blame it on the, the lack of assimilation thereafter. Right. Now, I lived in Britain for 20 years, and it's a very nationalistic country in certain ways, and they define themselves by their opposition to their sibling rival, the French. I mean, there, there are many genuine national rivalries. These different countries speak different languages. So I don't think it's just social welfare or the fact they've come up with a different economic system. No, but when you, when you have a, a group that is able to be radicalized within your own country, what is it about the way that they're living that's making them vulnerable to this but, kind of well, these countries are much more homogeneous than the United States and always have been, right, Peter? Yeah, you know, I think that the, we haven't been addressing the elephant in the room, which is Islam, because that's what everybody's talking about now. Is there something different about Muslims coming from, name your country, versus uh, Poles or, or Italians or whoever's coming across the border? And I think that issue needs to be talked about there is a history of radicalization that is a problem, and it's not something the West can solve by itself. The um, Muslim people need themselves to work out what, what it is about this, this uh, virus that's infected what should be a peace-loving religion. You know, one of the world's great monotheistic religions has, unfortunately, a pretty thick streak of radicalization in it. And, you know, Francois Hollande, Barack Obama cannot solve those problems by themselves. It has to be the Muslims themselves need to deal with that issue. And we are seeing voices in the Muslim world that are are talking about this. I agree with you. I think that, you know, a politically correct uh, unwillingness to address it at all is an issue. But I feel that 
that in a healthy economy, all these things are less likely to be problems. If you're working all day instead of lounging around your government housing, not that everybody does that, but it's a lot harder. You know, look at the Sarnayev brothers in this country. Direction, this is the Boston Marathon the Boston, bombers. Yeah, yeah, especially the older brother. Kind of directionless, half employed, half unemployed, not ever really getting a foothold in life. That made them vulnerable, I think, to this kind of radicalization. Agree, yeah. Our show is about solutions. So, so let's look at some possible ways that we can push forward this debate. Yeah. Overall, let's start with, I believe that putting up walls is not the solution. So it's understandable why people want to do that, but you've got to step back from your immediate reaction and think, what's in our best interest in the long term? Now, one thing that has come out of this debate since the Paris attacks is a little bit crazy. There is this huge pushback against refugees and not nearly enough of a debate over visa programs. Um, There are yeah. Many, many people who can come in from, from countries that have had problems with terror without checks. And yet refugees that we've had all the debate about, they have up to two years of checks. It's crazy. So people just come in under a tourist visa. Exactly. They go right so, around the wall. They yeah. say there's a 10-foot wall here. And there's no <laughs> – I'll just walk two steps to the right and go around the wall. And yeah, So if you erect you walls, you, you, you right. get that. Um, we talked before about how you want to – ease fears of native-born towards immigrants, help the native-born themselves become more economically productive so they're not pushed out of work. And what are some ways to do that? Well, job training, better schools. I'm not saying these are easy problems to solve, but this is the direction we need to be going in. Um, Integration of immigrants into society. Ellie Berman mentioned before that terrorists thrive on distance. So do what you can and it's not an easy problem. There are people who don't want to be integrated. So you've got to, you've got to put your hand out, reach, invite them in as best you can. Don't give up. Don't, you cannot give up as hard as the problem is. Well, one conservative idea, which, which I think makes a lot of sense, is really emphasizing English, giving more of an incentive for people to speak English or yeah. speak you know, I, language. I, my wife used to be a, a teacher in the South Bronx where a large proportion of her student population, their parents did not speak English. She saw parents who were upset when their kids were put in ESL, English as a second language programs. You know, there is research that says kids learn better in their native language. But there's, I think there's also a lot of evidence that the most important thing they need to learn in English, if you can only do calculus in Spanish, you're not going to get a job in the U.S. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one. Okay. Deal with the root causes. And again, I can just hear, hear people around the Thanksgiving dinner table telling me you know, how naive I am. But if you don't attack terrorism at its source, then then you're stuck with trying to put walls around soft targets. You can't put a wall around every soft target in every country in the West that's a potential target. So go after the bad guys. And also, we have tools that are being underused. Europe had terrible failures of intelligence over these latest attacks. And the Belgians weren't talking to the French, for example. They don't um, even talk to each other. Right. The Bel- <laughs> Belgians aren't talking to the Belgians. It, with better information, better tracking, then you could, and we've done some, but we haven't done enough, stop these terror attacks in their tracks before anybody dies. 
So I want to circle back. You know, we've been kind of mixing up three very different issues here. One is the refugee crisis. Yeah. The other is illegal immigration. And then the question of legal immigration or the free movement of people around yeah. Europe and stuff. Yeah. So are you arguing that that in the U.S. we should or would you agree that perhaps we should raise our levels of, of legal immigration and that might be a way of also get, getting a little bit more of a handle on the illegal immigration that happens around the edges. I think so. I mean, here, here we're offering special uh, visas for people to come in uh, on a temporary basis, uh, almost like guest workers. That's never going to be a, a wholesome way to and do several things. Several states are proposing their own programs along those lines right now. Right. You, you want to have people who come in as immigrants who have a chance to achieve citizenship. That should be the path. That should be the norm. Not everybody's going to want to, but they shouldn't feel like they're second-class non-citizens. So, yeah, more legal immigration. In all this concern <clears throat> about immigration, I think a lot of it's based on that idea that the economy's a pie, Then we're just going to slice it thinner and thinner. You're arguing that, that a good economy helps that pie grow. Tell us a little bit more about how immigration plays a role in that. The GDP is nothing but the output of all the people who live within it. So it grows when the population grows and the working class grows. If all those immigrants came in and did nothing but sit on welfare, then it would be a big negative. But that's not what happens. In fact, in most cases, they work at at least as high rates as the native-born public. Um, second, they're doing a lot of the jobs that uh, native-born workers don't want to do. That's at the bottom. At the top, we also bring in a lot of doctors and scientists. And entrepreneurs. Well, you say that immigrants, in some cases, do the jobs that native-born people don't want to do. What are some examples? Well, obviously, a lot of farm work, um, a lot of uh, low-level manufacturing, a lot of um, nursing care, like home care nursing. But going back to the top end, Take a look at any science fair contest or a spelling bee or something and see uh, how many of the people are, are either born abroad or are children of fresh immigrants. These people are really adding a lot to the American economy. Even take a look at the list of most successful CEOs, uh, Google, for example. Yeah, Sergey <clears throat> Brin sure. from, from the U USSR. <clears throat> yeah. uh, you know, the idea that we would cut ourselves off from that, do we really want to be North Korea? Peter Coy, economics editor of Bloomberg Businessweek. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Jim, I think this whole discussion about migrants or refugees, the economy, goes to the heart of why Donald Trump has done so well so far, and I think will probably do well in the primary season in 2016. So Glenn Reynolds, the uh, law professor, instapundit blogger that we've had on the show, he often says that when mainstream parties don't address a concern of the voters, sooner or later, some fringe group will come along that will 
represent it. You know, you see this in some of the fringe anti-immigrant parties uh, around in, Europe. In Europe, very in, much so. Uh, in, in the UK and in in and uh, in France and in Germany. And he feels that's sometimes a result when the mainstream parties just take a, an entire issue and they say yeah, it's an untouchable issue. If you even raise it, you're a horrible person. So, and I think there's something like that going on here with the concern about refugees. You know, and a, a lot of people are. Um, or really want to, you know, shame and 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 isolate the people who are concerned about Syrian refugees, but you know, if you but if you poll the public, all parties, almost all age groups, they share this concern. Here's what I think is going on. Doesn't mean they're horrible people, but I think there's a lot of people who don't trust our current administration to administer this program properly to 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 vet people properly yes obviously we have a much bigger problem with people who are able to come here with visa waivers on tourists you know as tourists but i think the the governors and the politicians and the voters who are saying hold on a second with the syrian refugees they're not just being heartless i think they're trying to exercise some some way to get a break on an administration they don't trust to I, handle this problem. I agree with you to an extent, but I think the whole debate has been horribly misframed. I think that to argue about refugees, let's first look at visa programs. Right. There are much greater but threats, this is all they've and they've got. not been the subject of right. debate. Of course it should be the subject of debate, but this is all they've got. They're fixating on this one issue because there's some some leeway there. But there's such a small number of people coming in. Yeah, I'm not saying it's rational. I'm not saying it's rational or that I agree with it. I'm saying I understand it. And I think too often in political debates today, the first thing everybody goes on Facebook and says, anybody who disagrees with me is a horrible, evil, racist person. My grandfather was a refugee. Yeah. Well, I think that, that's, that, not the, yes. that's not the question. No, and I also think that, that there are arguments to be made for making sure that fewer people come to this country illegally. That's right. reasonable. So there's so much kind of bundling together of very different issues here. One issue is refugees. That requires a specialized uh, program. We don't take very many refugees in this country. We should probably take more. And refugees, um, people who usually are fleeing persecution and war and quite right, different from right. migrants who are usually coming here for economic reasons. Right. Then the second category is is legal immigration. A lot of debate on that. I'm I'm a, as you know, kind of a squishy libertarian. So libertarians are generally in favor of of more immigration. We think it's good for the economy. But then there's the issue of illegal immigration. A lot of people who are uh, who are on the left or pro-immigration, they bundle these together as if, you know, illegal and legal immigration are the same thing. It's a legitimate concern for people that millions and millions of people are in the country with, you know, without having followed the rules. And there's no question that illegal immigration and also large unskilled immigrants that they have driven down wages for many people in this country. I'm, I'm actually surprised it's not a bigger issue on the left because, you know, core uh, Democratic voting constituency right. is is lower skilled workers. There's, the left is supposed to be in favor of, you know, the masses. You, and, and, yeah. and, and, the, and when wages are pushed down, it and, does affect these people. And you can make the case that that's one reason for the collapse of low skilled labor unions. In, in many parts of the economy. You know, I think large, high levels of, of illegal immigration have changed our country in a lot of ways. I mean, not all bad, but just go to any suburb and see the, the crews of people, you know, blowing the leaves and mowing the lawns. It used to be that 
that teenagers did that work. You know, I, I, I had I mowed three or four neighbors yards every week when I was a 14 years old and made pretty good money. You don't see that anymore. Nobody mows their own own lawn anymore. And and I think, you know, we've seen those changes without recognizing that they're partly due to these high levels of illegal immigration. It doesn't mean the immigrants are bad people. It certainly doesn't mean we should do some kind of mass deportation. But I do think that people who have concerns about this shouldn't be vilified. Yeah. We should we should talk about a, a fair system to get a grip on the illegal immigration. And once we've done that, maybe people will be more open. They'll be less prone to this kind of knee-jerk reaction against any kind of immigration. And I think this gets back to a core point that we've been trying to make on this show, which is just because you don't agree with somebody doesn't mean they're an idiot. I mean, the way that debate is framed in this country now compared to, say, 30 years ago, people are far less respectful of those that they don't agree with. That, that, no, that's so true. And I think social media has given so many people tools to do this even more. But let's let's come back to some of Peter's other um, solutions. I, I think, you know, his take on terrorism, that it's better to fight. And this is an old thing you used to hear in the Bush administration, better to fight them over there than here. But there's something to that. You can't put a a SWAT team in every shopping mall in the country. You can't protect all these soft targets. But Peter is also saying very clearly that research shows that rich and poor countries alike benefit from a free flow of labor well, more and, than they are hurt And by trade. It. So this is where, to me, Trump often sounds like a 1980s Democrat to me. He thinks all the problems in, you know, in the country are some foreigner, you know, took our job. Some foreigner is, you know, wrecking our economy. That, that, that eagerness to point fingers and to assume you can somehow build a moat around the country, it never, it never works. And uh, trade and the flow of people on the whole it tends to make the country stronger. Well, we're going to point our fingers at the stop button. I'm Richard Davies. <laughs> and I'm Jim May. And the show is How Do We Fix It, produced by Miranda Schaefer. And Denise Barbarita is our audio engineer here, here at, at the beautiful Mono Lisa Sound Studios in Uptown Manhattan. And this show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for businesses and nonprofits. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.